Finding the book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 1. We're going to read in a moment some verses from chapter 1 and some verses from chapter 2. As the bumper video shows and as you see on the screen there, the title of this series from the book of Acts is Church on Fire. Now this is not going to be an exhaustive study of the book of Acts. As a matter of fact, we're going to be looking together at Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 1 and 2 that we're going to kind of hopscotch through this morning, we look at the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We could call that the Jewish Pentecost. And then in Acts chapter 10, we'll find the Gentile Pentecost when the Spirit of God fell there on the household of Cornelius. I'm excited about this series. I'm excited also, just as an aside, about the series that are going to be beginning on this Wednesday evening. I hope that you'll scan that QR code or call the church office. And if you're part of the men's ministry group that meets, there's a, a study and a ladies' ministry study, a co-ed study. And I'm excited to begin a series this Wednesday on the most beloved psalm, the 23rd Psalm. And I'm calling this series, From Stress to Rest. <laughs> Does that sound good to anybody in the house? And we're going to look at some causes of stress, uh, such as worry and busyness and damaged emotions and fear of the future and life's dangers and, and how this psalm speaks to each one of those areas of stress. And so I hope that you'll make that a priority, one of those classes, and join us on this Wednesday evening. They begin at 6.30. Well, if you found your copy of God's Word, I'm going to ask you to join me in standing as we show our reverence for the reading of the Scripture. We're going to begin out of Acts 1, reading five verses together, and then we'll read some verses together over in Acts chapter 2. So if we could see on the screen there, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. This is Dr. Luke speaking, and he says in the first book, O Theophilus, now that first book was his gospel, right? The gospel of Luke. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then we go over to the next chapter, Acts 2, the first six verses. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, 
And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Thank you, friends, and you may be seated. In 1954, the famous evangelist Billy Graham conducted what was called the Greater London Crusade. It was an amazing time. It went for three months solid in the spring of 1954. And thousands of people were saved. Thousands were swept into the kingdom of God. But Billy Graham was not without his critics. As a matter of fact, there were liberals there in Great Britain who said no thinking person would believe such myths as a blood atonement, a bodily resurrection. Nobody would believe those things. One particular liberal clergyman wrote this. Billy Graham has set back Christianity on this continent 200 years. To which Billy Graham famously replied, I was trying to set it back 2,000 years. Folks, when we look at the state of the church today, and we look at the church, the early church, in the book of Acts, I think we can understand Billy Graham's statement. And we read the book of Acts, and we're going to study these first 10 chapters together, and I think we need to think about the modern church and ask ourselves, what happened? I mean, we're going to see and study things in God's Word in the book of Acts, like 3,000 people being saved in one day. We're going to see how... These people all got together and they shared their possessions. There was a spirit of generosity that was unleashed among them. And there were no needy people there because of their giving. We're going to see how common folks, regular laborers, farmers and fishermen, went out and shared the gospel. And Dr. Luke, throughout the book of Acts, drops these little progress reports, and he lets us know of the spectacular growth of the church. And we look at those things, and we wonder, well, how did it happen? How did a ragtag band of followers about whom nobody knew anything start this spiritual movement that turned into a juggernaut that is still going strong today, 2,000 years later. Well, I want you to note on your listening guide and on the screen, this secret, the secret of the early church can be summarized in one word, fire. Fire. This was a small band of people who were literally ignited by the Spirit of God. The flames came. And the fire fell, and they caught fire, a major symbol of the Holy Spirit throughout scriptures is fire. And when we study the book of Acts together, we see how the gospel 
spread through these people who caught fire and the gospel spread and the church grew like a wildfire. Friends, one of the reasons that Jesus came to this church was not only, or this world was not only to found the church, he came to set the church on fire twice. His forerunner, John the Baptist, said this, I'm baptizing you with water, but the one who's coming after me is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What a powerful symbol of the Holy Spirit that is. And the reason that the early church was so different was made up of people who were set on fire. I love to read some of the sermons of Vance Havner, that old country preacher, that great evangelist of a bygone era. And this is one, one of those Vance Havnerisms. This, this sentence from him, he said, we are not going to move this world by criticism of it, nor by conformity to it, but by combustion within it of lives ignited by the Spirit of God. Here's a second takeaway I want you to note just by way of introduction. It is this. If you don't get anything else I say today, get this. Item two on your introduction. Followers of Christ today have the same Holy Spirit as the early church had. Friends, we have the same Holy Spirit. The same Christ who lives within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we have everything that the early church had so we can be everything the early church was. And they were a church on fire. I don't know a really much better I could do for you as your interim pastor than to give you a glimpse of what church ought to be. A church on fire. And it begins with these first two chapters of Acts as we're thinking about being set on fire. So there are three aspects of that I want to unpack for you today. Number one, I want you to know this, that being set on fire is required because of the plan of the Great Commission. We go back to Acts chapter 1. Dr. Luke tells us that Jesus Christ, after he rose from the dead, spent 40 days with his apostles. And I begin, I think they began to wonder what comes next. And Jesus ordered them initially to do nothing but to wait. He says, Don't leave Jerusalem. You wait for the promise of the Father. Several times in the Gospels, Jesus had promised his disciples. That he was going to pray to the Father, and the Father was going to send another comforter, the Holy Spirit, the teacher, who would lead them into all truth, who would glorify him over and over Christ, promised the Holy Spirit. And we just read there in verse 5, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And when Jesus said that, it would be 10 more days to the day of Pentecost. And so we pick up with Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, if you'll note that on the screen. So when they had come together, they asked him, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed 
by his own authority. Now, they're asking that question reveal their concept of what the kingdom was all about. To them, the kingdom was something material. It was something political. It, it was something that would go like this to the Jewish mindset. A Messiah will come, and he will be a conquering military hero, and he will overthrow Rome and set his people free politically. Israel will be restored to a world power. What they did not understand is the power Jesus was speaking of was spiritual power. Look, if you would, then at the next verse, verse 8, what Jesus had to say. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Folks, is on the screen there is what we have come to know as the Great Commission. One of the ways in which Jesus said it. And by the way, it is not the Great Suggestion. It is the Great Commission. It is a command. And what was the command? What were they to do? They were to be His witnesses. Remember, these fellows to whom Jesus said, you're going to bear witness of me, are standing in front of a resurrected Christ. They had already placed their hands in the nail prints. They saw the nail print in his feet. They saw the scar in his side where that spear had been thrust. He was alive, undoubtedly. And they were simply to go and tell everywhere that he was alive and what that meant. By the way, that's a, a veritable outline of the book of Acts because they started in Jerusalem, then they went out to Judea and then on into Samaria and ultimately to the ends of the earth. Now, folks, let's talk about this word witness for just a moment. A witness, you think about a court of law, a witness takes the stand and he or she simply does what? They tell what they saw or what they heard, or what they experienced. So what does it mean to be a witness for Jesus Christ? We simply tell what we have experienced. Now, in a court of law, there are two reasons someone called to the stand might not be a faithful witness. One is this. They might refuse to testify. They might say, I plead the fifth, right? Or it might be that they don't witness because they didn't see anything. They didn't hear anything. They didn't experience anything. Lean in close. Those are the same two reasons people will not witness for Jesus Christ. Friend, if you're not a witness for Jesus Christ, the reason you're not is only one of two things. Either you're refusing to testify or it could be that you've never, ever truly experienced Jesus. But we have our marching orders right here. The Great Commission. And that Great Commission, that's the plan. But it, it requires a power. A power that can only come by the Holy Spirit of God. And by the way, folks, these marching orders have never, ever been rescinded. Upon whom has the Holy Spirit come? 
He said, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Acts 8, 9 says, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you're not one of His. So every Christian, every born-again child of God has received the Holy Spirit. By the way, dear friend, the day you get saved, you receive all of the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. Away with this theology that says, A, you get saved, and then B, sometime later, you receive the Holy Spirit. That is false doctrine. Friends, you receive all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to receive when you are saved. You get all of Him you'll ever have. The question is, how much of you does He have? But every person upon whom the Holy Spirit has come is to move out in ever-increasing concentric circles, starting right where you are. That happened to be Jerusalem. They weren't from Jerusalem. They were from Galilee, but they were going to bloom where they were planted. Then they were going to go out to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's everybody going everywhere, everybody upon whom the Spirit has come. It is total participation, and we are to totally permeate our society. Total involvement, total infiltration. That is the plan. But I want you to note item two on your listening guide, and it is this. Catching fire, being set on fire, is not only required because of the plan of the Great Commission, but it is realized through the power of God's Spirit. Now, watch it. The disciples knew what to do. Witness. They knew where to do it. The world. They just did not have the power to do it. And Jesus, at that particular juncture, did not say to them, go to work. He said to them, go and wait. And so for 10 days they waited. They prayed. They took care of some business. They had to be Baptists. They had to have a little business meeting, right? And they they replaced Judas, who had hung himself, got another apostle in there. But then we get to Acts chapter 2. And folks, this is a turning point in the Bible. This is a turning point in the kingdom of God. I would go so far as to say this is a turning point in human history. We just got through a season of celebrating when Christ was born. This morning, we're going to be celebrating when the church was born. Here in Acts chapter 2, friends, we're in the delivery room. By the way, since you ask, our daughter in love is going to go in a delivery room tomorrow morning and give us our first granddaughter. So we're excited about that. That wasn't in my notes. That was for free, all right? But we're in the very delivery room when the church was born. These disciples had the plan. Now they're going to get the power. And the announcement that these lowly, common, humble folk were going to receive power. But you think about it, this was stunning. In that day, the only people who had power were kings or emperors. The only way they got it was they were born into it or they took it by the point of a sword or the point of a spear. But This is a reminder to us when Jesus promises them power, that he's not talking about political power. He's not talking about financial power. He's not talking about military power. Friend, he's talking about 
spiritual power. He's speaking of supernatural power. That's the kind of power that comes to people who get set on fire. And it's a reminder to us, hey, God's kingdom is different than the kingdoms of this world. His kingdom, his gospel is spread not by soldiers, but by servants, by those who are witnesses to him. His kingdom spreads through the force of the Holy Spirit, not because of bullets or bombs. So Luke says the day of Pentecost came. Pentecost was a Jewish feast. They'd celebrated it for 1,500 years that, that came 50 days after Passover. Now, we know Christ was crucified on Passover, so he was with his disciples 40 days. He was taken up into heaven, so they had a 10-day prayer meeting, and then came the day of Pentecost, and came the Holy Spirit. It came, first of all, with a sound. The sound, the Holy Spirit came with a sound of a mighty rushing wind. You you don't ever see the wind, you just feel the wind. There there was a, a sound. Then there was a sight right? On their heads were flaming tongues of fire, representing not only the presence of God that the sound of the wind would represent, but representing the power of God. And then, and then the day of Pentecost came with speech, as we're going to see, representing the very purpose of God. They all spoke in languages that they had not learned. Let's pick up there in Acts chapter 2. This will be on the screen. Verses 7 through 11. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, these are the onlookers. Are not all these men, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, look at it now, each of us in his own native language? And by the way, that word language there is the word from which we get the word dialect. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. And the next verse says, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Remember, it was a Jewish feast, right? People had come from all these regions. They had come there to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And something happened on that day that had not happened in human history. Here here it is. When the person of the Holy Spirit came and fell on them, He came to stay. In the Old Testament, there were times when the Spirit of God would come upon somebody for a specific task, maybe to win a battle or to write Scripture, but the Holy Spirit would be removed. That's why David prayed, take not your Holy Spirit away from me. But friends, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came to indwell believers permanently. He came to abide. He came to stay. And so what we see here is both a miracle and a milestone. 
The miracle was this. There, there are 15 different localities that are mentioned that we just read. And everybody heard the message of God in his own language. Now, now Galilee was considered hillbilly country. And so how did these hillbillies from up there around Galilee speak all of a sudden fluently in these different dialects? Folks, that was the miracle. And what was the point of the miracle? This was it. God was saying in doing that that his gospel was going to be for everybody. That this coming of the Holy Spirit The opportunity to receive Christ, that was not going to be a Jerusalem thing. That was not going to be an Israel thing. That was going to be a world thing. That was going to be something for everybody, no matter what language you speak, no matter what country you're from, no matter what your nationality, no matter what your ethnicity, the gospel of the good news and the opportunity to be swept into the kingdom of God is for you. It's a miracle. But now the milestone, verse 11 says, everybody who was speaking in those languages they had never learned, they were saying the same thing. They were telling the mighty works of God. In other words, they were witnessing. Why were they able to witness? Why were they able to begin to carry out the plan of the Great Commission? Here it is. They had been set on fire they were ignited they were lit by the spirit of God the Holy Spirit came upon them and by his power he was just speaking through them you know the most extensive catalog in the world of known languages is called ethnologue I checked just a couple of days ago on that website it's constantly changing I want to know what is the number of languages in the world today. And I found out that in the world today, there are 7,168 languages. Friends, can I tell you something? The God who came in the person of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 wants His Son Jesus proclaimed in every one of those 7,168 languages. That can only happen when His followers are set on fire. We could say it this way, because the sun went up, the spirit came down, and now the saints can go out. Which leads me to this third and final truth. Not only is being set on fire required because of the plan of the Great Commission, and not only is it realized by the power of God's spirit, but no, being set on fire will result in the proclamation of the gospel message. You see, friends, we have the same mission. We have the same might. And we see at this juncture, we have the same message. The final piece of the puzzle with what makes up the church happens there in Acts chapter 2 when Simon Peter gets up and he preaches the first sermon in the history of the church. The church that has just been born. This is opening season. This is the grand opening 
of an institution that was meant to last forever. Friends, one day governments will be no more. Somebody ought to say amen to that, right? One day schools will be no more. One day militaries will be no more. Nations will be no more. But friend, if you're a blood-bought child of God, I'm here to tell you, you're a part of something that lasts forever. And that is His church. Born on the day of Pentecost. And the message that Peter preached is the same message that we share today. Whether from a pulpit or in our everyday life. By the way, I did say Simon Peter. The same fellow who just a couple of months earlier in front of a servant girl had denied he even knew Jesus. Think about that. Now he stands up in Jerusalem, the city where his Lord was crucified, and in front of everybody he preaches boldly, lays the responsibility of that crucifixion on them, and 3,000 people get saved. What happened? I'm telling you, the wind of the Spirit of God blew that denial out of his soul. And the fire of the Spirit of God burned away those impurities in the life of Simon Peter. God's Spirit filled him. And he was set on fire. We're not going to read his sermon, but basically it has these aspects, these elements. He expounded the Scripture. He exalted the Savior. And he extended salvation. And the message Simon Peter preached is the unchanging message that we still preach today. You can read it in verses 21 through 24 of Acts 2. And and he covered everything he needed to share about Jesus, about his incarnation. He was a man. He did mighty deeds. About his crucifixion. He was crucified according to the plan of God, but by their wicked hands. And then he shares about the resurrection. By the way, he spends one verse speaking about the life of Jesus, one verse speaking about the death of Jesus, and nine verses speaking about the resurrection. And then Peter gives a mind-blowing conclusion. Look at the bomb he drops on them. Look at verse 36. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, Peter says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, this is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Basically, he's saying to the Jews, you're looking for a Messiah, the Christ, look no further. He's come. He's saying to the Greeks who were not looking for a Messiah, but who were looking for God, He has made Him both Christ and He's made Him Lord. Proof positive that He was the Messiah, the Christ of the Old Testament, and the Lord of the universe is God had raised Him from the dead. Now I want you to get this. From the very inception of the church, Jesus intended that his church be built not on his teachings, not on his life, not on his miracles, hey, not even on his death, but the church 
was to be built on the resurrection. The fact that Jesus was raised from the dead, that was the main message then, that's the main message today. Peter and those apostles were ignited and they were excited to share that Christ was alive and that everybody who called on the name of the Lord could be saved. And then I want you to look down to verse 37. In Acts 2, 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, this is a change. Back there in verse 12, they asked, what does this mean? Speaking about uh, the folks preaching in languages they'd never heard and the wind and the fire. And now they change their question from what does this, what does this mean to what shall we do? You know, sometimes when I preach, I'll say lean in close. I want to tell you, everybody was leaning in close right there. I imagine you could have heard a pin drop. What should we do? What's Peter going to tell them? Join a church? Try harder? Get more religion? No, no, I want you to look at verse 38. This is what every gospel preacher ought to say. Acts 2 and verse 38. Fellas, if we get that on the screen, thank you. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. First, he says, repent. That means you change your mind. You go in a different direction. You repent of your sin. You also repent of any good works, any efforts on your own to save yourself. You may have heard me say it before. You get out of the Savior business. You repent and be baptized Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. By the way, that little word for can mean not in order to, but because of. I shall go to the doctor for I'm sick. I'm not going to the doctor to get sick, although that can happen, right? It means in regard to or in respect to. So our Church of Christ friends are wrong here when they say you've got to be baptized in order to be forgiven. No, we're baptized because we've already been forgiven. That baptism, we're standing in the water. The water's across us. It symbolizes the cross. And then we're lowered down into the watery grave. It symbolizes not only was Jesus crucified, but he was buried. And when we're raised up, it's a picture of Jesus being raised from the dead. Everybody who's received him ought to go through that ordinance. It doesn't save you. But it symbolizes that you have been saved. And then he says, you receive forgiveness of sins and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You get freedom from what you used to be. And you get power to do and be what you ought to be. And then comes the exciting conclusion to the first episode in the early church. Look on the screen at verses 40 and 41. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. When I read that, what comes to my mind is that old Hebrew word, wow, wow. And I want to say, Lord, do it again. Those believers did. What every believer ought to do, 3,000 of them took that step of baptism. Baptism showing death, burial, and resurrection. And you know what that says to us today? 
that the church was built on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It means that the church was never meant to be localized in one building or centralized in one denomination, but energized by one event. And that, my friend, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our faith, our Christianity is built on a historical faith in a historical figure and a historical fact that God raised him from the dead. And when we take on the mission that the early church had, the plan of the Great Commission, and we take on the fullness of his spirit, the power, then we go out with the mission and we've got the might and we share this message that he is alive. The great revivalist and author Leonard Ravenhill once wrote this, and I want you to hear it. You never have to advertise a fire. Everyone comes running when there's a fire. Likewise, if your church is on fire, you will not have to advertise it. The community will already know it. So how about at Crossroads Community Church? You want to be a church on fire? It comes through the Holy Spirit of God. So I'll leave you with this concluding statement. Let's pray that God will set us on fire so that we might fulfill our mission of taking His message to the world. It's time for us to be ignited and be a church on fire. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Those who are going to lead us in this song of invitation are making their way here to the platform. In just a moment, Brother Brandon and I will be standing here at the front, here at the place of prayer. We do what Peter did on that day. We make an appeal. If you need Christ, you come. We're going to sing this song, Living Hope. He is the only hope. And we want to encourage you today, if you've never received Jesus, you can just as surely as those 3,000 were, and just as surely as that number has been added to daily, daily, daily since that day, it can be added to here today. You come, take us by the hand, say, I need Christ. We'll take it from there. Or if you've never followed through, you've been saved, but you've never done what these first followers did. You've never been baptized by immersion. You need to do that. You come. We can schedule that. Or if you want to unite with this church, that which was born on the day of Pentecost that is still going strong. You think about it. They didn't have any buildings. They didn't have any budgets. They didn't have any bands. And yet they took off like wildfire. We have the same Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe there's some today that need just to surrender to that fullness of the Spirit and would say like that great old hymn, set my soul afire, Lord, set my soul afire. Lord, help us do some business with you right now. Give courage to those who need to step out and come, some to receive you, some to profess you, some to unite with this church, some to maybe come for prayer, making a fresh start under your Lordship, Jesus, under your fullness, Holy Spirit. May they come, we pray. Ignite us all afresh and anew. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Mm -hmm.